the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is a Tuesday. I'm back. Uh, my thanks to the Secretary of Treasury, State of Arkansas, uh, Dennis Milligan, for filling in for me yesterday. Uh, I wanted to be here, but uh, had a family uh, emergency. Uh, my daughter fell and hit her head, and it knocked her out cold. And then when she uh, woke up, she couldn't talk. And she had a, a really bad seizure during the time that she was unconscious. And so uh, they've got her in the hospital. She can now talk again coherently. She can, uh, they've done, uh, uh, what was an EKG, they did that, that was fine. They did CAT scan, that's fine. They're doing an EEG today. And if that is negative, then I guess she gets to go home. So uh, thank you for all your prayers. I appreciate that. And uh, it was a little bit, uh, how shall we say, it was a little bit uh, trying for a few minutes. So I let uh, Zach and, and Russ know that I would not be here yesterday. I found somebody to fill in, and Dennis was the second person I called, and he could do it. First person said, just can't. I wish I could, Dave. I'm your best friend, but I... I just can't, and you can make a guess at who that was, but he couldn't make it in, so uh, I thank him for trying. But the bottom line is she's going to be fine. I'm here today, and it's good to be here back behind the microphone again. You know, I'm thinking about I should take the Comrex unit to my house, uh, Zach, and I can do my show from my house. I just might do that. I mean, it seems like everybody's saying, Social distancing, social distancing, and I guess 35 miles between you and I would be enough social distancing. Do you believe? I think that probably would be enough. But, yeah, got to, we got a whole problem uh, right now. I, the, the mayor of uh, Little Rock is starting his uh, curfew starting on tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Was it tomorrow he's starting? Uh, okay, it is. Midnight to 5 a.m.? You got to be inside. If they stop you and you don't have some kind of letter or something, uh, you know, uh, they're going to they're gonna whack your PP or something. I don't know exactly how it's going to work, but you get in trouble. Uh, they're talking uh, amongst the uh, elite in Washington. And when they start talking like this, you know, it's kind of scary about closing down restaurants, closing down bars. Because, as the guy from the CDC said, 
we're not social distancing ourselves well enough. Just really, it's just strange. I'm just Ed. It's it's strange. Ed Monk's here today from, uh, of course, uh, Last Resort Firearm Training. Uh, we've got a guest with him coming up here in just a few seconds. I'm getting a little concerned about this because they call them these things curfews. Now, I know that your next guest is a lawyer. What's the difference between a curfew and martial law? I think a curfew can be part of a martial law oh, if, it's for, okay. if it's for adults. So what you're telling me is the radio station has given you papers. So when the government agents ask you for your papers, you can show them to them. That's exactly right. And if you don't have your papers. Pull over, citizen. We have things to talk to you about. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Who's our guest? Uh, should be this hour, Whit Hyman, an attorney uh, out of Fort Smith, a young, brilliant attorney out of Fort Smith uh, who wrote the appeal, the successful appeal uh, to the Arkansas State Court of Appeals. Okay, and this deals with carrying a firearm, correct? Carrying a concealed firearm without a license. All right. Whit, how are you? I'm great. I, I can't take all the credit. I was one of three attorneys uh, on that case. So, But I, I, I think I wrote um, – most of the initial brief. Let me ask you a question. This is not, I kind of alluded to it as a lawyer, when they start talking about closing down uh, restaurants and things of that nature and curfews and stuff, how close are we to martial law? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure, but I, it seems like a first amendment violation to me. We have the right to assemble. I mean, it's right there in the in the First Amendment. So, I think people should, you know, social distance themselves. But when it's mandated by the government, uh, that seems like a violation. Yeah, man, it, it really it this is starting to concern me because this is the situation that always I brought up with people to that people would be willing to give up their rights in certain at certain times. That to me is dangerous. Or the government tells you to give up your rights, and people go along with it. It's enough, you know. It's one thing if they say, you know, you should be social distancing, and then let us make up our mind if we want to do it or not. It's a totally different thing when they say, you know, uh, mine here says you must do it. Yeah, you know, uh, if people want to voluntarily not assemble, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But when the government starts saying you have to, um, you know, I just it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. And I, I know there's a leap, but I'm just not sure how far of a leap between the government saying we are going to restrict your right, your very specifically described right to assembly. We're going to violate your First Amendment rights to assemble because of the possibility you might spread a dangerous virus. Not not a, not deadly for most people, but dangerous. How big of a leap is that? From we're going to we're going to restrict your right to assemble because you might spread a dangerous virus to we're going to restrict your right to assemble because in doing so you might spread dangerous ideas now listen what what's sitting here going i didn't come on this show for this (laughs) (laughs) yeah it just comes up i mean it it just came up for me because i didn't know about these letters until late last night i was sent a an email by our uh, operations manager and said dave you get in print off these letters so that when you're coming into work on uh, basically Thursday morning, you'll have them have them on your person. 
because you could be pulled over because I get here just a little bit before five. So I don't know. It just, it's just, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. You know what I'm saying, Whit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about this court case. We've spoken about it on the air a couple of times. Uh, Robert Steinbach was here just last Friday. He's a, a legal professor over at the Bowen School of Law, and we talked about this. This is a major uh, case and one that, uh, does it say to people of, of Arkansas yet, do you think it's clear enough that it says, hey, you have the right to uh, keep and bear arms, like what the Second Amendment said? You can you can walk around with a gun on you. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they make it very clear that, yeah, well, they, you know, it's it's a court decision, so they, it's never going to say exactly what we want it to. Uh, but it basically says we can't find any crime that he committed, but by carrying this firearm concealed, even though he was so drunk, he was asked to leave a bar and on his way out tore a door off the hinges. You know, he committed public intox. He committed criminal mischief. He was found guilty of those and didn't appeal those. Um, but he was not guilty of the crime of carrying a weapon or any other crime regarding the guns. Yep. With the, the two big things I got out of this, I think was the court said that to be found guilty of the misdemeanor of carrying a weapon, you must have intent. The evidence, there must be evidence there that the person not only had the gun, but had intent to use it illegally as a weapon against another human and that the state has the burden to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you had that intent. Is that accurate? Yes. Uh, you know, like in, like in Taft v. State, I, I wish, I really do wish Petrie v. State was groundbreaking. Um, but it, honestly, it wasn't. Anybody who read Taft v. State would have would have assumed that clearly Petrie v. State, this, this case that just came down, was obvious. Unfortunately, after Taft v. State, there were plenty of law enforcement officials and um, people who just don't like guns claiming that Taft v. State didn't say what it said. Uh, but now I think I think it should conclusively you know, settle the matter because all of their excuses have been dispelled with Petrie v. State. Is it is it good in a way that we did have this new one because Taft dealt with carrying openly and now this one deals with carrying concealed, so it kind of covers both bases? Right. Uh, that's uh, kind of. Uh, Taft already did that for us, but there were people out there who who were not lawyers who probably don't really like guns reading Taft v. State, coming up with excuses like, well, that was that was open carry. You know, there's nothing in there that says you can't concealed carry. And, um, you know, now that we have Petri v. State, it's it's taken away from those arguments. But I've been saying ever since Taffy State that the conversation's over, the argument's over. And I don't have it in front of me, but wasn't there language in Taff from the court that said this is, the law is clear in Arkansas that it's not a crime to carry without a license? Right. They they said they said things like uh, it's it's obvious from reading the statute that you don't that there was no crime being committed here. You know, and so, I like I like that because, again, I'm a concealed carry instructor. I kept hearing in the media amongst politicians and different people that, well, you know, carrying without a license, that's kind of a gray area. And I'm like, well, I'm no attorney. Um, 
but it looks very clear to me that, that there's an element of the crime now with Act 746 that you have to prove intent. Just possession of the gun is not is not enough for an arrest or a charge or a conviction of the crime. It seemed very clear to me. And I think people saying, well, it's not really clear. It's gray. We're just using that uh, because they didn't like the fact that, in fact, it was clear. Yes. And if you, if you look at uh, the arguments that the Arkansas State Attorney General's office made in fighting this, they tried to drag in every statute that had nothing to do with carrying a weapon in Arkansas to make it a crime. Uh, they were talking about, well, if you look at 573-306, the Prohibited Places Act, you can't carry in a bar. And that's not true. Uh, you can carry in a bar. And... The Prohibited Places Act is just a list of places, if you read the very top, a list of places that having a concealed handgun license does not authorize you to carry. Well, in the United States of America, generally, the law is not a list of things I'm allowed to do. Right. It's a list of things I'm not allowed to do. So all of 573-306 is pretty much just a suggestion now. Now, the Arkansas State Police are probably going to try to take away your concealed handgun license if you're caught in any of those places. But realistically, uh, I think you've got a strong argument to fight them in court on that because it's just something that says you're not authorized. Uh, you know, I, it's, it's, it's wild. All these arguments they were pulling out, like there's, um, there's another statute in in the concealed handgun license scheme that talks about how if you're convicted of a of an alcohol related offense or a crime involving alcohol that they shall take away your concealed handgun license and the Arkansas Attorney General's office was was quoting all these different things and and our response every single time was criminal laws are supposed to be clear this criminal law you know has three or four elements that lays out the crime you have to be in possession of a handgun you have to have the purpose to use against another person. Uh, you have to have the intent to use that firearm against another person unlawfully. And then there were a bunch of defenses, but the but the issue is, you know, it's it's a criminal law, so it's supposed to be clear. Yeah. I, I I was in a training event, and this is probably two or three years ago, but it was at, clearly well after 746. And I was in a training event where a, a police officer, I'm not going to say his name, I'm not going to say his agency, but he was an active police officer. And, and the question came up, is it true we can carry legally without having a license? And you you probably know the attorney general's office every two years, I think, puts out this little quick reference guide for law enforcement officers. And uh, he had that and he, and, he, and he shook it in the air and he says, you know, this is this book by the attorney general's office that tells us the law and there's nothing in here that says you can carry without a license. And it just... It made me shudder. Here's a police officer saying... There's nothing in there that says you can't carry. That's right. There's nothing in there that says you can carry a Bible or go to church. Absolutely. It it shuddered me that there was a police officer who had taken an oath trying to convince people that if this book published by a government office didn't tell you you could do it, then you can't do it. When it's the exact opposite, you can do anything that the law does not make a a crime. Okay. We're going to come back and pursue this line of uh, discussion when we return here. The Dave Ellswick Show, we are on with you to bring you up to date on everything that's going on. And uh, this is a very important time for uh, gun owners here in the state of Arkansas. I I firmly believe that. I think now 
we have these people that are trying to take away our rights to keep and bear arms on their heels. We'll continue to talk with our uh, attorney that's joining us today, and uh, we will uh, hear from news at the bottom of the hour in a few moments. It's uh, 48 degrees, 622 here on the Dave uh, Ellswick Show. 30% chance of some rain today with a high near 58 more coming. Well, we got to hold it right now. I just looked over and Zach had to step out of the studio because so he can't push my button over there. Not my button, but the button on the station. <laughs> I don't want him to push my button. So why we got the moment, let me pick up here. This is a is, is this another example of something that's going to have to go to the Supreme Court before it finally, finally gets put to bed? I don't think so. Today, or actually technically I think yesterday was the last day that they could have appealed to the Arkansas Supreme Court. Well, to be honest, it might be today. I'd have to check my calendar. Uh, but they usually, if they're going, if the, if the Arkansas Attorney General's office is going to appeal, then they would have done it by now. Uh, and today's the last day for them to do it, probably. And if they don't appeal to the Arkansas Supreme Court, we'll have two Court of Appeals opinions on point for anybody who's facing this crime. And it would be really unfair for the Arkansas Supreme Court to come in years later and say, well, these these two other Court of Appeals decisions, we're going to disregard those because they were erroneous and we're going to find somebody guilty of carrying a weapon. That would be unheard of because criminal statutes are supposed to be clear so people know what not to do and what to do. So I don't I don't think this has to go to the Arkansas Supreme Court after this. We've got we've got two opinions directly on point from the Court of Appeals. Eight of the twelve um justices on the Court of Appeals have concurred or agreed with an opinion that says carrying a weapon with or without a license is legal. The other four have not been asked, so we've got a hundred percent of the Court of Appeals judges that have been asked asked to give an opinion agree that you don't need a license to carry. I can't imagine that the Supreme Court years later or would ever overturn these decisions. It just wouldn't make any sense. All right, sit there. We'll be right back with you. I've got a follow-up question for you, and I think it's the one that's going through a lot of people's minds right now as they listen to the show. It's uh, 48 degrees, 625, our break, uh, 51 in Hot Springs, by the way, and 49 in Pine Bluff here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let me tell you what, if you've not been to All Aboard, you need to go there and eat. It's a great place to have uh, lunch, good place to have an early dinner if you would so desire uh, as well. And it gets delivered by a train. That's very cool. All right, so the, the question that that uh, has me concerned. And you tell me if you don't think that people aren't rolling this over in their head. And that is, so if a cop pulls me over and asks me if I have a firearm, I say yes. They want to see my concealed carry license. I don't have one. Uh, What's to keep me from being arrested? Is he still with us? Did we lose him? Are you there? No. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was talking, but now that was going out. So the the issue is this: 
this case, I believe, creates clear enough law that even if you are arrested, I think you've got a great lawsuit against the police officer because he should be on notice that after Taft and after Petrie that it is legal to carry a weapon without a license. And especially if you're driving in your vehicle, uh, you know, if you're you may fall under one of the defenses to the statute that and it, it, we've got a case right now uh, where I'm going to sue some of the police officers at a Greenbrier from a case that happened in 2016. Or we know who that is. Right. And and so it's very likely that you are that the police officer arresting you for this is, is violating the law as it's been in place since 1840 or when, whenever our constitution right. was put in place because, you know, carrying a weapon to some degree is, has always been, um, I guess, regulated in that sense. But the, I mean, Arkansas has always allowed people to carry when they were on a journey. So, you know, it's, I, as a criminal defense attorney about, at least 20% of the cases I have, the person, even if you believe everything that the police officer says in his report, the person was breaking the law. So that that is a, just a risk you have with, with living life in America, I suppose, is that you could be arrested for just about anything. All right. We've got news coming up. Can you stick with us for just a few more moments? Sure. Okay. We're going to hold our attorney. We'll be back in a moment. But right now, let's get to the news and bring you up to date. Our attorney from uh, Fort Smith, Whit Hyman, is with us. Uh, he was the attorney in this last case and uh, dealing with carrying a handgun without a license. And what is this case being known as? Petri v. State. Okay. And, uh, you know, even though you might tell a police officer, I'm carrying without a license under the auspices of this particular uh outcome in the appellate court system and it says that i i can uh of course i believe the second amendment says i can uh without any further argument but uh if you would happen to have your gun take away if for instance they put you behind bars for a while do you, are you able to seek any kind of restitution against the uh police department well, against the police department, maybe. Against the individual police department, yes. After this case, for sure. Um, you know, they, of course, Petrie would not be allowed to do that. If if this were to happen today, Petrie would not be able to get any kind of recourse, right? Because in his case, he was, he was publicly intoxicated and he was breaking other people's things. So mm-hmm. he can't sue. Right. <laughs> right. Just because, right. He, just because he also happened to be charged with with a crime he wasn't guilty of uh, does not does not mean he really has any uh, extra way to sue. I mean, he might be able to sue and get a dollar. But even then, I don't I don't know. I wouldn't take that case just just because it, it may not be against your civil rights to to also be charged with another low level crime that you just happen not to be guilty of. But yes, the average person who is walking around or driving around, uh, carrying openly or concealed, they are not committing a crime. So if they're arrested, then yes, I I think they could they could sue a police department or the officer. Now, uh, the police department's only going to be liable if it is if it is a custom or policy that they are 
arresting people for open or concealed carry. And that's really hard to prove. Uh, so I would, if you hear that there's a police department doing this, you need to write a letter to your city council members and tell them that, hey, this, your police department is doing this and it's against the law. Uh, because otherwise, you're not going to be able to sue the city. Um, now, the individual police officers oftentimes get bailed out by the city. I've never had a case where I've sued a police officer where the state of Arkansas or a city didn't step in afterwards and say, we're going to pay this police officer's legal bills because that's just the right thing to do. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm fine with that. As, I don't care where the money comes from as long as it's – as long as the person who was injured gets paid. So, Whit, this is a relatively new case, but Taft's been around for a while and, you know, very small set of people I'm talking about. But I've asked probably 20, 30 cops from maybe 10, 15 different agencies just in general conversation, have you heard about the Taft case? None, zero of all the law enforcement officers I've talked to, city, county, state, when I've inquired, did they know about the Taft case? So there, there was the case. The court said something to the effect of the law is clear that it's not a crime. But if, if the cops aren't getting educated, um, as we tell people, you don't know what cop, constable, deputy, trooper, agent you're going to run into that doesn't know it or doesn't like it. Um, right. And I, I think that has been a concentrated effort by the Arkansas State Police to obfuscate and obscure and hide the law. And that's been their goal since day one uh, when this statute was passed. They make, what, $3 million a year or more uh, from concealed handgun license fees. So I, I think they just wanted so badly for this not to be the law that they were just trying to wish it so. The attorney general, uh, the first one, Dustin McDaniel, didn't help. His opinion, actually, <laughs> I think it's almost more accurate than Leslie Rutledge's opinion because he, he was actually crafty about it. He, he avoided the question altogether and yep. made up his own question. And, and then in the footnotes, you can kind of find the answer that, uh, that by the way, Mr. Hyman's right. You know, this is it. <laughs> but the, he, he never says it. And then uh, Leslie Rutledge came out with her opinions, and they've been largely garbage um, but they they get some of the more clear ideas out there right but now after this i imagine she's going to have to change change that even further um, if she decides to address it again so kind of a combination with what dave said if 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 a, a arkansas resident a citizen is driving from volunteering at a homeless shelter to a church where he's going to make a large donation he is just completely innocent He's encountered by law enforcement that finds out he has a weapon and he arrests the, the citizen. Now, this is probably unlikely. He'd probably get cited, but let's just say he arrests the citizen, puts him in jail, tows his car, confiscates his gun, and then the citizen contacts an attorney and thousands of dollars lay, later in legal fees, lost work, embarrassment, bad publicity, he gets the charges dropped and he gets his gun back eventually. After all that, what do you, what's what? do you likely think he would get out of the legal system? Uh, well, you know, that's, I, I think he'd be, had the legal right to get everything back that he spent. As long as he keeps track of exactly how much he spent and for what, and that's very tricky to sue because you have to make sure that they didn't drop your charges uh, and, and 
on condition that you stay out of trouble for so long or something like that. You, you want a full dismissal. You want to, you have to press for a full dismissal and, um, otherwise they can say, no, you, you didn't get a full dismissal. You took some kind of, uh, be good pro probation and, and therefore you can't sue. So it's kind of tricky. Uh, so if you, if you do get stopped and arrested for this, make sure, your criminal defense attorney is in contact with me so that I can tell you and tell him exactly what needs to be done in order for you to preserve your case to sue later. Cause they make it really difficult to yeah. sue any government agent. Yeah. Now, I mean, technically I, I guess it, it's possible that you could sue over all this and, and a jury could hear your facts and, and only give you a dollar. But if, if you're a nice person, if in the video you're not screaming, you know, I'm going to call my lawyer, you know, as long as you're polite and firm about what your rights are in the video, uh, I think you're going to be fine. See, what I'm looking for and I can't find is motivation for police officers or departments to change. And because basically if they cite you, if, if, if one, they're ignorant because they haven't been educated or two, they know it, but they're, they just don't like it. So they arrest you, they cite you, they cause you all these problems, these embarrassment, possibly lost work or lost job. And then what they're basically done is they have fined you because you have to go hire an attorney. So at the end of the right. day, it's dismissed. You get all your stuff back. But basically, they have fined you thousands of dollars because you had to go hire an attorney. And then I hear people say, well, yeah, well, we won. Well, you won the court case, but you didn't really win. No. And I don't see the mo- I don't see any motivation for police departments, law enforcement agencies, or individual cops. Uh, because, okay, they you know months later you get your stuff back and they dismiss it, but there's no motivation for the cop who arrested or cited you to not do it again because he didn't pay a price. Well, that, that's what this is about. And even, you know, what, what I always do in all these cases is I try to be nice at first. Uh, I send them, uh, you know, for all of my clients where I, where I firmly believe in what you did – I will send a letter to the police department, a letter to the police officer and to the city, and I'll say, look, I'm about to file a lawsuit for this guy. Here are his damages. Just pay him, and, you know, don't worry about paying me. Otherwise, you know, after I file a lawsuit and after we win, you're going to end up paying me as well. Because they have to pay for your attorney fees when you sue to this, and and. You know, just for one example, I've got a case going on right now where I offered to settle for a thousand dollars, and it's very possible by the end of the year uh, they're going to be ordered to pay me fifty thousand dollars. Oh, that's significant! And, and it's been going on since you know we filed our lawsuit on June second, twenty sixteen. So this, this is the one in Greenbrier. No, that's different. We we oh, haven't okay. we haven't filed. Yeah, his his case is is on the cusp of being filed. I've got it on my desk. Okay. <laughs> All right. The but the, the issue is, um, you know, there's, if, if for some reason, a lot of these, a lot of these places want to double down and pretend like they didn't do anything wrong, but I always try to give them the chance to, to make it right. Um, you know, so. All right. Let me ask you a final question. Our guest is uh, Whit Hyman. He's an attorney at long defense attorney out in Fort Smith He's been dealing with this whole thing about, you know, carrying a gun without a license and et cetera, et cetera. And 746, Act 746 covers this, and 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 they kind of play three blind mice, you know, with this in the law enforcement. Uh, 
so who is supposed to when something like this happens that changes the the weight of the law completely uh that's out there who's supposed to notify police agencies hey you can't do this anymore be aware does anybody hold that to responsibility there's there is a a breakdown the arkansas state police sends out over new case law uh i've seen it in some of my lawsuits they they hit like hey this week in the Arkansas Court of Appeals, here's some stuff that changed, and they're supposed to be the ones changing the curriculum down at the academy. Um, I don't know why they've completely ignored TAF, apparently, but hopefully with this next one, they'll look out for the interest of the officers and and inform them that what that you can carry a concealed handgun license or a concealed handgun without a license. So uh, only time will tell, but either way, uh, I think people should do it, and you know, if you don't exercise the right, you'll lose it. So that's right. Wait, wasn't it after Taft that the director of the state police was asked in a legislative committee hearing, "Is it a crime in Arkansas to carry a gun?" And he said, you, "Each individual should contact their own county prosecutor yeah. and dodge the question." <laughs> yeah, and then if you, they, uh, yeah, he did say that. And then if you looked at a lot of their material, they, I, I think. Even the Attorney General of Arkansas, Leslie Rutledge, was talking about how well you can't you can't carry it concealed, and everyone was like, well, what, "What's your basis?" Well, you just can't. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's like okay, like well, why why do we have a concealed handgun license uh, scheme if 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 you if you can just carry concealed without a license? Well, I think Arkansas is one of about 17 states that issues a concealed handgun license that also allows you to uh, carry openly or concealed without a license. So. Well, and 746 uh, was passed after the statutes that established the consent. That's correct. Laws. Right. So they would take precedent over there. Yeah, there's there's all these arguments that they try to pull out that just don't make a lot of sense. Um, and I'm glad that the court cut through that. And they honestly didn't even address a lot of the BS arguments from the attorney general's office. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad that they just ignored it and said, no, the, the law is clear. This is, this is it. So. All right. We thank you for your time. Thanks for the extra time today. Lots of interesting questions about this. And uh, if you're watching on Facebook today, share this with as many people as you possibly can. If you're listening on radio, go to uh, 101.1 FM, the answer dot com. Uh, find the uh, podcast of this and share it with as many friends as you have that you can. We need to get the information out about this and stop this insanity that's going on uh, here in in the in the state. Whit uh, Hyman, well, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, thanks, Dave. I, I will say, don't carry on government property or in government property or at a school bus stop. Uh, those are that's still very illegal, but everything else uh, is generally okay. Well, any any time that you're over here in Little Rock, let us know, and we'll get you here in the studio if you don't mind getting up early. <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll do Thanks, all right Dave. talk to you later yeah. bye-bye yeah. now all right that's what hyman interesting segment there yep and i hope that clarifies this for a lot of people out there just know it doesn't protect you from some you know rambo out there or or texas ranger from wanting to you know be uneducated and do things that are illegal they may do that uh but a a right that is not exercised is not a right anymore. And I think that's the problem, Dave. People don't see it as a right. 
when we start talking with, I think, most people, unfortunately, when we start talking about where and where, where you can and can't carry a gun, they look at it like where you can and can't carry your emotional support lizard. You know, it's no big deal. If you can't carry your lizard into here, you can't carry your lizard over there. It's just a silly rule about where you can carry an object. It, the gun is for self-defense. So when they make a law that says you can't carry a gun in a certain place, what they're saying is you must be defenseless in here. You yeah. must give up your right to self-defense. And to me, that's abhorrent. I agree with and you. And there is no place they can protect you. When people say, well, the government is there to protect them. I show them the, the picture of uh, uh, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, his assassin getting shot. Uh, while he's being flanked by two police officers. That's like right. The, the police cannot, they're generally there for protection. They they can offer some protection, but they are not your bodyguards. Oswald being shot by Ruby. So when they say when you go into the school to attend a teacher's conference, when you go into the courthouse to pay your taxes, when you go into this place, you can't carry your gun. What they're saying is you must surrender your right to sit, not to carry a gun, but self-defense. You, you need to be defenseless. You must agree to be a victim if someone attacks you in these places. That's abhorrent. It's All right. We'll come back, talk more. Uh, I've got maybe a couple of questions here for, for Ed as well. We'll finish up this talk on gun rights here in just a moment. It's uh, 48 degrees. It's 10 minutes till 7. In Cabot, it's 48. Conway, 48. Hot Springs, 51. Pine Bluff, 49. But here in Little Rock, it's 48. You know, as we listen to uh, Wit talk, uh, there uh, ed the one thing that really concerned me is that the state police evidently is sending out this information to the local police and and uh, county deputies and all the rest or county sheriffs and this and it's not being shared this is concerning yeah and i wish the attorney general's office would do it as well uh, I can't imagine the director of the state police in a legislative committee ask, uh, Mr. Director, is it a crime in Arkansas to carry a Bible uh, in your car or walking on a sidewalk? Would you? Would it be a crime to do so? And him say, well, you'll have to ask your individual county prosecutors. I would think someone that's taken the oath would say, no, it's clearly not only not a crime, but it's specifically protected in the Bill of Rights and well, the yeah, oath I've he, taken to protect the Constitution. That he said such a thing is... It's terrible. Yep. He shouldn't have his job. Yep. I mean, seriously. But that's up to the governor. He's the one who who puts the head of the, the state police in. This is one area that I and the governor do not agree on. And and I believe there's a lot of people in this state don't agree with the governor on this. And it really bothers me that he is a Republican and we all believe in in the Second Amendment. Or at least I thought as a party, we believed in the Second Amendment. I've taken an oath as a cadet, as a military officer, as a deputy, and a city police officer. And it's been my experience, far sad experience in the last 30 years, that 90-plus percent of the people that I've met that take the same oath just see it as some words they have to mumble to get their job. It's not something that they truly believe in and will enforce. Yeah, and everybody needs to understand. I got principles right here, the Arkansas Republican Party. They're right here in my hand right now. If you're watching on Facebook, I'm waving them at you. It says, the personal right to own and bear arms. So let's get with the program here and at least 
do me a favor and follow the platform. Well, I think we got a lot of the well buts. Do you agree in the? Do you agree with the Second Amendment? Well, yeah, but 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 but, but, but. sound like a motor but not tied here, up at but the not pier. here, not him, not this kind of gun, not there. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's 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 concerning. Yep, it really is concerning, and I am bringing up the point early, and we talked to Wit about this, and I'm sure I'll get a. We if I had Robert in here, he might give me a totally different take on this, and that is these curfews. I mean, they're talking about closing restaurants, and they're you know here in 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 Little Rock starting tomorrow. If you're found out uh, going out and about except for certain things between midnight and five a.m., they can detain you. Now, what's the difference between that and martial law? I want to know what the difference is there. I mean, does the does the National Guard have to be driving up and down the streets for it to be martial law? Just saying. I, I'd like to have some clarification on that. It concerns me. I understand there's a virus out there. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. But uh, there is a thing called the Constitution, and... You know, I don't want to be at a time in our in our history again that people start setting certain things aside in our Constitution. Well, it doesn't apply right now. Like during the Civil War, you know, writ of habeas corpus was put to the side, and they could put you in jail and keep you there forever if they wanted to. Yeah, no, I don't want to go back to those days. Don't want to do that. Mm-mm. But if you bring that up or the internment camps or people say, oh, you're, you're slippery slope, you're, you're jumping to huge conclusions, but... What we're seeing now is the toe in the water. It's just it's a small taste of martial law. I'm looking and I'm seeing the camel's nose under the tent. Yep. That's what I'm seeing. Yep. I'm just telling you, don't go silently into the night. And that's my that's my take on it. You have to make up your own uh you know decision about this. Just know that you don't have a right if you don't exercise the right. And far too many people go straight to, do I think it's a good idea, when they should first go to the step is, does the government have the authority to do this? Whether yeah. I like it, want it or not, first got to ask the question, does the government have the authority? I want to know the first restaurant owner that's going to go to the courts and, and level stop this and see if it can be an injunction is issued on it. We'll take a break. Uh, we got to get a break. I know Dave, they're saying, Dave's going crazy this morning. Yeah, I am. I am because you know what? I believe in freedom. That's the key. I believe in freedom. We'll take a break. Got more coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show.
Seven after seven on a Tuesday. It's Dave Ellswick. I am back in the chair. Took off yesterday. Had a little bit of a family issue I had to take care of. My daughter hit her head, knocked her out, had a seizure, uh, in fact, stopped breathing from what I understand, and has been taken care of. And she's in the hospital. She should get out today. They're going to do an EEG today just to find out what, if there's anything there with mm-hmm. the electrical activity about the seizure but then she should be allowed to go home. So uh, thank you for your prayers. I know a lot of you started praying immediately when you heard that I had a family emergency, and I really, really thank you uh, for that. Unlike Democrats, I believe that prayer matters. Yeah. Um, now, wait a second. I That's too broad of a brush. Unlike Pelosi and others mm-hmm. in, uh, in uh, Congress who make fun of us because we pray, uh, I believe that prayer matters. I, I don't mean to uh, annoy you who, for whatever reason, decide that you're Christian and you you want to be a Democrat because it makes no sense to me whatsoever with their platform. Right. Yep. No, no, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Um, I don't know how you can call yourself a Bible-believing Christian. Uh when the Bible clearly states these are these are the things that you know you were talking about the um, um, Court of Appeals having said the law clearly states last hour yeah. well the Bible clearly states that there are a whole bunch of things that are illegal if you yeah. will and and I don't know how you can um, join yourself to a well, party goes, to a group it, of I'll people. I'll tell you what it goes back to what you and Steve and Scott talk about of the separation between the Old Testament and New Testament. Yep. Because yep. of the Absolutely. New Testament, supposedly, everything God said before the New Testament doesn't doesn't apply anymore. Well, okay, then let's just stick with the New Testament, and let's just stick with the words in red, and what you will find if you just go through your Bible and read the words in red, that the vast majority of what Jesus had to say is simply a repeat of what is in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, when you get to that point, because it's it's the first thing that people jump on when, uh, well, Jesus said all we have to do is uh, love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and love our neighbors as ourselves. And, and what they don't know when they when they espouse that at me is that those are simply two categories. Um, that That is not new. That is simply two things that exist in the Old Testament as a summary of the law. Um, Basically a summary of the Ten Commandments. Right, right. But th- those are explicitly stated um of course you've got the love of the lord your god with all your heart mind and soul uh in the right at the top of the ten commandments you know this is what you got to do here and then i think it's in numbers where we find the love your neighbor as yourself he was not making up new things it's just not what he was into um people forget because they want to draw this line and i think we talked a little bit about this last week they want to draw this line between uh, the big old mean God of the Old Testament and the super loving fuzzy God of the New Testament. Um, but John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh. So the same voice that you want to claim is the super uh, friendly, fuzzy, caring God of the New Testament is the same voice that spoke those commandments to Moses to begin with, and is the same voice you'll see in the book of Revelation when he comes back with a two-edged sword, uh, and that is not for show. That yeah. is not a ceremonial sword. No, that it's is a, not. a sword that he will use to uh, shed a significant amount of blood. Um, specifically, he, he says, I will shed the blood of my enemies and those who hated me. So um, there, there is no disconnect 
uh, I have I have often taught when I'm teaching individuals um, who are relatively new to that concept. I've often taught that the most dangerous page in your Bible is that one that just says New Testament, and that's all that's on it. Um, you should tear that right out of your your Bible. If it's if you've got a a page before Matthew starts, and all it says on it is New Testament. You should tear it right out of there. It just doesn't belong there. No, it's a continuation. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I have even heard it taught, and I'm not sure I would go quite that far. Although I, I have probably made this statement, I even heard it taught that really the the New Testament is nothing more than a commentary on the Old Testament. It's it's how we should live out those things. It's how we should perform those things. Um, it's how the Old Testament and the law of the Old Testament should impact our daily life. Um, and if we view it from that point of view, um, Scripture also makes a lot more sense. Um, scripture becomes um, unified from, from Genesis through Revelation, and we don't see a lot of people, the, the um, quote, inconsistencies in Scripture suddenly go away uh, when we understand Scripture in its proper context. Yeah, I'm I'm watching uh, the face, our uh, Facebook uh uh, broadcast right now and if you uh, send me a question I'll see it there you I'm go. watching and Zach's watching so we see it we'll get to it and we try to questions. talk about it. yeah we love them and uh, we didn't get a lot uh, this week because a lot of people have been dealing with the coronavirus and oh, and cool. all the rest with yeah I I wish that I still had uh, the guy that wrote all my parody songs that I would write because I would like to write one using my Sharona. There you and go. use my Corona. I could really, I could do something with that. I really could. Uh, I, I, I would, I would definitely get toilet paper in there. I got a TP or something. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. here's the key. The next one that we have, what if it causes uncontrollable diarrhea? Are you yeah. going to run out and, and get uh, Visine? For yeah, your eyes. I, I, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I, I don't. So the the two very very long lines that have existed are are lines to buy bullets and lines to buy toilet paper. And and I texted a group of friends yesterday. And I said, I guess when the apocalypse actually hits, what we'll be doing is killing one another so that we can wipe our our heinies. Because um, that appears to be what people are really interested in. We need bullets to shoot each other and toilet paper, and yeah. we can survive anything, apparently. So okay. so real quick, Lynn Johnson Farmer uh, sent me a, a statement, said, uh, shame we had to go through these hopes, whatever, I guess dealing with a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. uh, because of political agendas. Carson Bishop said, good morning. Zach Hall says, good morning. Walter Rodner Rudd said, I am glad you had the attorney on in the first segment. Everyone should be concerned about 2A rights and all rights of citizens. Ed Monk is a great guy. Man, you don't know him. And uh, should be on every week (laughs) to share his knowledge and experiences on these issues as well. Walter, my check's in the mail, please. Yeah, hit that. Hit your your microphone. There you go. Go ahead. Walter, my check's in the mail, too. There you go. Okay. There you go. So if you're you're watching on Facebook, just know you can contact us on Facebook as well. If you have a question, it's uh, BibleGuys at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com. And we had a couple of things we didn't finish up last week, but I got to pursue something that we asked in the last hour, and that's dealing with this whole thing of uh, the government saying, Mm -hmm. you know, curfew midnight to five, uh, no 
no groups bigger than 50, 100, 200. I've seen them up to 200, seen yeah. them as small as 50. Billy, that concerns me because they don't say which excluding, groups. They do not say excluding church. churches. Um, and, and this is where, when I was listening, driving in this morning, uh, this is where I, my mind immediately went to. Um, because I'll, without sounding like one of the uh, kooks who wears a, a tinfoil hat, because I, my tinfoil hat got left at home this morning, um, I, I will say that I am always suspicious of the government. Um, I, I, I People have motivations. Every human being has a motivation for the things they do. If you did not have a motivation for doing whatever your action was, you would do a different action. Mm -hmm. So I I am always suspicious of what the underlying motivation is for things. Um, And uh, particularly being that um, Stephen Scott and I come from a very, uh, we kind of look at everything through the lens of Scripture. I I see a time coming, and probably not particularly long from now, when... um, the government really desires for you not to be a follower of God anymore. And one of the first things... Now, what would ever give you that idea? Uh, well, I don't know, about, <laughs> about two-thirds of Scripture, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, when we start talking about the government, we, we, we as Americans have become so soft that we are quick to surrender our rights if there's even a... It doesn't have to be a, a good reason to do it anymore. It just has to be a loud reason to do it these days. Um, now, I don't get me wrong. Uh, I heard a I heard a great statement the other day that said common sense is not a lack of faith, and uh, foolishness is not um, foolishness is not faith, and common sense is not panic. So uh, I I believe in you know look if you want to social distance yourself that's great uh, if, if when you want it's to, your decision if you want to limit your contact if you want to work from home uh, you know my employer has basically said if you can work from home do do not come to the office um, and, and those are I understand the purpose because I understand epidemiology well enough to know that what they're trying to do that. All, all outbreaks like this look like a bell curve, and all they're trying to do is lengthen that bell curve so that you don't uh, overrun the medical industry, so you've got plenty of doctors. There's there's a line uh, on, a, on a graph. There's a line where we've got medical services, and if you push above that line, when you go to the hospital, you're going to get told that there are no, no one to help you there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're trying to lengthen that curve and keep the, the spike low, and I understand that. I really do. But I also understand that when you start telling people they can't do things, um, I'm just enough of a rebel that I'm considering getting in my car about when's the curfew tonight? Midnight. Midnight. I'm I'm considering getting in my car about 12.01 and and just driving around (laughs) until 5 a.m. Until somebody pulls you over? Until somebody pulls me over because I would like for a a cop to explain to me under what law and, uh, and or what constitutional statement anyone can tell me I can't be out. Um it, it, my wife will, my wife will be the the leveler head there and tell me I'm not allowed to go out. I yeah. know this will happen, <laughs> but um, it 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 irritates me when these sorts of things start happening, and it's it is a small leap. Um, I know several churches that did not have service um, this past Sunday, and that's their choice, and that was their choice. They had you know streaming services right and but the day is coming i suspect uh, and and it's a touchy one so the government is probably they probably will not come directly out and say hey all churches have to shut down but what they yeah. are going to come out and say hey any gathering regardless of its nature who's more than 50 75 100 people um now in reality i think the average church in the united states is still around 42 people 
Um, so it won't affect Not the one that I go of, to. Right, it won't affect a lot of small country churches. They'll still be allowed to have churches, yeah. but um, most of your churches in your cities are suddenly going to find themselves in a position where they can't legally have church. That's right. Everyone inside suddenly becomes a criminal. My dad told me once uh, that the only purpose of any law was to create criminals, uh, and and that. I was a very young man at the time when he said that, and I had never stopped to think about that. The only purpose of the law is to create criminals, is to say this behavior is criminal in nature, and therefore you cannot do it anymore. Um, So that also is part of what my dad, I love my dad, but my dad uh, was, was, it was a strange place to grow up with my dad. So, uh, but he kind of created in me this sense of the bigger government gets, the more uh, things become unlawful. Gosh. That's Thomas Jefferson. Look you there. And as a result, we truly should desire tiny government. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know. Uh, it, I don't know who it was that uh, I was listening to or something, but um, the individual said I would be perfectly okay if uh, the government, quote unquote, was uh, one guy with the nuclear football. That's it. That's all I really need. I need one guy who's got the nuclear football and someone to tell him he can't push the button. If I can have a government that consists of only two people, I would be happy after that. It's like, well, you know, maybe maybe not quite that extreme, but um, yeah, yeah, the smaller the better because uh, the bigger they get, the the more money they need from me and the more they mess around in my life. Paraphrasing Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers, a government has a propensity to grow. And as government grows freedom shrinks absolutely Absolutely. government big enough to give you everything is big enough to take everything away keep those just those two thoughts in mind well and this is very much um this is very much what scripture says as we approach the end times there there will come a government um who will say by the way if you don't believe the way we do and you don't do what we tell you to do you will not be allowed to buy or sell and and what that's making reference there to is food um, you know, you, you, if you don't have your papers, if you didn't get your papers stamped, um, and, I, and I believe you've got some papers that are stamped now, right? So you can be moving around between midnight and five. Starting tonight uh, at midnight. Uh, if you don't have your papers and they're not stamped, um, it, that means you're not loyal to the government. And as a result, uh, we're going to cut you off. That's, just that's remember, coming. if they pull you over tonight, you don't have them. And, you know, just put a little German accent to it. That's right. You know, papers, please. Okay, would, a break. Would you like to see my papers? Yeah. Your papers. We want to see your papers. All right. It is uh, 22 minutes after 7, 49 degrees. Dave Ellswick show more in a moment. All right. 26 minutes uh, after 7. And I know there's a lot of you driving to work and going, Ellswick's gone off the deep end. He's saying that they could try to control us going to church. If they make the statement, if they make the statement, which certain areas have already, that no meetings of 50 people or more, right. what's to keep them from saying your church shouldn't be meeting? I'm not right. saying that they tell them they can't stream. I'm just saying you can't meet at the building. I just know I go to New Life Church and Cabin, and there's usually no less than seven or 800 people right. Right. at one of our three services on Sundays. That's well over the 50, the 100, or yeah. even the 200 people that they talk about. Right. And, and we've already heard some some people um, saying that, right? No um, no gatherings of larger than uh, X number of people. And I have not yet heard anyone. I've never heard clarification. Right. When they say that, go, except for going to church, feel free to continue going to church. Yeah. So um, 
before you say y'all have lost your mind that they're telling us that we can't gather at churches, I'm not sure that that has not already been implicitly stated, not explicitly, but implicitly stated by the fact that they have not said except for church. Uh, if they tell you no gatherings are larger than 50 and your church is larger than 50 and you continue to gather, technically you violated what they've asked you to do. Now, at this point, there's no teeth behind that. No. So feel free to go, uh, yep. I'm going to do no. what I feel compelled to do. Uh, and until you've got some teeth, and when you do have some teeth, come talk to me about it then. Because mm-hmm. I'm still going to do what I believe I need to do. So Here's the other thing. The president asked for a day of prayer and supplication Sunday. Yes. Yes, he did. How many churches actually had prayer and supplication from the front of the sanctuary, calling upon God to cover this nation with his grace, spare us from this pestilence. Yeah. I'd I'd really kind of, did your church do that? Uh, I'm not sure. I I wasn't even aware that that had happened um, until this morning, actually. Um, So the, the place that I was on Sunday, I was traveling on Sunday, and the place that I was on Sunday probably didn't know about it. it, it certainly, except for certain um, uh, Congress people's reaction to that particular request, I, it, I haven't seen a lot about it in the news, so it, it may not have made it. If you do that on a Friday, you're kind of at the tail end of the news cycle anyway, right? So I'm well, not sure every day I need. pray for our nation. Yeah, absolutely. I ask for God's grace. I ask for his you know, intelligence to permeate the thick skulls of many of the people that are politicians that they put their own self to the side right and do what they're supposed to do for our nation uh i do that typically on a daily basis i hope as believers you do as well but i'd be interested if you're watching on facebook just say yay or nay did your church have a moment of prayer and supplication for our nation on sunday or did they just say when you go home today, I hope that you'll pray for our country. I don't know. Depends on, uh, you know, the, the church that you go to. Right. All right. So join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show, either on Facebook or you can join us also here uh, on the air, just like uh, you're doing one or the other right now. We got to take a break. Rush is with us. We'll give you his update coming up here in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. You shouldn't be worried about taxes and retirement. Uh, Really, you should be scared to death about taxes and retirement. You'll be paying taxes on your IRA and your 401k, taxes on your Social Security benefits, and taxes on your investment income. So that money you were counting on for retirement could be only a fraction of what you thought it was going to be. Learn how you can avoid this with a free tax reduction analysis from david lucas financial in little rock if you've saved more than uh, five hundred thousand dollars be one of the first 10 callers to get this free analysis now at 501-222-3315 learn how you could save tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes over your retirement again the number 501-222-3315 501-222-3315. Advisory services offered through David Lucas Financial and Arkansas Registered Investment Advisor. David will be with me next week during one of our segments here 
on the Dave Ellswick Show. It's important that you hear this stuff because if you don't, you could really get broadsided and uh, end up losing a, a lot of money. It's uh, 24 minutes until uh, 8 o'clock. It uh, is about 49 degrees right now. There's some fog and mist outside. Humidity is about 93%. Conway, it's 48. Hot Springs, it's 51. Pine Bluff, 49. Uh, you got a question? 823 Bible Guy is here. Billy Miller's here. Scott couldn't make it today. Steve had to work, couldn't make it today. So it falls on Billy's shoulders today. Hey. So let's go back to some things last week we just couldn't get to, and that the Nephilim was the a question. Nephilim, yep. Um, so um, th- this question, and and you made a, a really good statement while we were off, that, that this is really one of those things where we're, we, we have the potential to be uh, majoring on the minor things here. Because uh, I'm going to give you an opinion, and I, I'm also going to tell you that Steve's opinion differs from mine. I don't know that I know what Scott's opinion is. Because it's not spelled out clearly. Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm, uh, I will, I'll explain why in just a moment. But let me read where this comes from. Um, if we go to Genesis chapter 6, specifically verse 4, it says, um, There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men uh, who were of old men of renown. Um, the word that is translated here as giants is the word Nephilim. And um, I know a lot of people who uh, believe that since the uh, King James was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for us. And therefore, if it says giants, <laughs> it's giants, right? Here's the problem with that. Uh, I hope you caught that joke. Yeah, it was it was a joke. Um Here's the problem with that. The word Nephilim, um, understand that for uh, hundreds of years, uh, Hebrew was a dead language. Uh, it is the only dead language that I, I that has uh, died, a language that has died and then came back into common use. Uh, today it is the language of Israel. So um, we have this problem in that there are words which are used in the text that because the language died, um, we don't know truly what they meant. There there are instances where uh, we simply do not know what the word, how to properly translate the word. And unfortunately, Nephilim is one of those words. Uh, it is it is here translated as giants. And there are some reasons for that. We see that, um, we see that there are a whole group of people uh, later, the, the um, groups of people who are in the land of Canaan, who when the spies go into the land of Canaan, they come back and they say, hey, these people are huge, um, and we were grasshoppers in our own eyes and in their eyes as well because we were tiny compared to them. And so we get this idea that the people who were there were really big, uh, like Goliath, for instance, um, and that the Israelites saw them as uh, giants, as, as huge people. And therefore, we kind of reverse translate back to, well, that must mean that the word Nephilim means giants. But we don't know that for a fact. Um, and where that, where we really get into some thick waters here is it says that the uh, sons of God saw the daughters of men. And this can mean, this statement, the sons of God, um, is a bit controversial because it's, it's literally B'nai Elohim. Um, however, this does not strictly mean angels. And that's where we really end up going to with this particular conversation is, are we talking about angels? taking 
human females as wives and giving uh, birth to some weird um, hybrid between uh, angels and men. Um, and that comes from translating B'nai Elohim as angels, uh, the, the sons of God. Uh, even though it says sons of God here, it doesn't say angels. We we see other instances where the angels are specifically referred to as B'nai Elohim, sons of God, uh, and and therefore this, this leap happens, right? Um, the bad news for that particular mindset, and here's where I'll, I'll come to Steve's defense um, since he's not here, is that Israelites are often called B'nai Elohim, uh, the, the, the sons of God. They are the children of God. Um, so they hold that title as well. Um, the descendants of Seth were also referred to as uh, B'nai Elohim, as uh, sons of God. So that, that righteous line that came from Seth, um, through which eventually Messiah would come, uh, are identified that way as well. So um, Steve's position is that this is simply talking about the children of Seth, the righteous line, having having seen that the daughters of the line of Cain were beautiful, and, to, and so they so they intermingled what was a righteous line with an unrighteous line. Um, I have a little bit of a problem with that in that I don't see how that produces anything. I mean, if it's just men uh, taking wives from from women i don't see how that produces these men of renown these mighty men of old um i personally lean towards the um um thought that this is spiritual beings um intermingling with human women um and producing these creatures that are different and i think that's probably where in in the greek when we talk when we look at all the greek gods they're all Strange. They're they're you know half goats and half people. They're half serpent and half people. They're they're all these weird. They're all these demigods are weird yeah, mixes, right? And and I think that's probably what we're seeing played out in the Greek culture is, is probably the result of what happened here. Um, that puts me in a weird minority position. Um, and but you know I'm I'm not afraid of being in the weird minority position. So. Uh, I don't hold. It's not something. It's not some hill where I would plant a flag and die on that hill, um, because I, this has nothing to do with salvation, right? I mean, this yeah. it has nothing. It's, it is that's, an interesting. That's what I said it's majoring right. on minors. It is an interesting uh, thought experiment. But until we stand before before Christ, there is no true answer to this. And by the way, once you're standing in front of Him, this will not be a question on your mind anyway. It, it will simply just not be in your thinking. So. Uh, yes, it is there. Yes, it is interesting. Um, the bigger question, and this is this is where this, why this has become such a popular topic again, uh, is whether or not the Nephilim make some resurgence right here before uh, the end of days, if you will. If suddenly we're going to see giants, you know, forty foot people walking the earth, um, and that's a signal of the end time. And I, I just, I simply don't buy that at all. Yeah, I watch Discovery Channel a lot, and every once in a while, they do a story about giants mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they, they they start talking about take a look at this artifact take a look at that artifact and the only person that would use this if they were 40 foot tall things right. of that nature well and and people will point to the book of enoch and we have discussed at length the problems with the book of enoch in that enoch didn't write the book of enoch and it's certainly not canon it, it appears to be more a work of fiction than anything else um 
but the, the book of Enoch, some of the creatures that it speaks of, the watchers, they're referred to as the watchers. Um, you know, these things are not 40 feet tall. They're like 1,200 feet tall. Uh, and, and we know just from the science of that, that a 1,200 foot tall creature can't exist. Um, the cardiovascular system that would be required to pump blood around is, is not possible uh, with flesh and tissue and these sorts of things. It, it, it's simply not possible for creatures to be that large. Um, it, it's under the current conditions of the planet and what would have existed at the time, uh, it's really hard for um, people who, for creatures who are built like we are, where we're very vertical, to be anything larger than about 10 or 12 feet because suddenly certain systems of the body simply stop working. Um, you know, even, even Goliath, who um, is supposed to have been this hugest creature walking around like eight or nine foot the estimate is about nine feet yeah so it's not like you know it's not like he was a a 1200 foot dude walking around right so um yes he was he was very large particularly for a race of people who uh tend to be on the shorter side the the israelites tend to be on the shorter side um, you so, figure you're four foot eight, and you go up against somebody right. who's, nine who's nine foot, foot tall. Yeah, he's more than twice your height. Yeah, he's like, a giant, yeah, man. Yeah, he is definitely a giant. Um, yeah. And you know, I have I'm a I'm a relatively tall dude. I'm I'm six three, uh, but I have been in the locker room at Cowboy Stadium, and uh, I'll, I'll tell small, you what, don't you? I walk around that place feeling like there are giants in the world. Again. Yeah. Because um, and, and it doesn't take a lot of difference in height uh, or physical posturing to go oh yeah no those dudes are giants trust me watch a game giants. and watch the the running back walk yeah. up to the linemen right. and they look like it's some uh kids out there playing with the with the varsity right you know? and then go look at his stats and realize that uh there's a real possibility that that guy is taller than you are yeah and and those those guys are all head and shoulders above him so that's the way i feel about when i watch <laughs> i watch basketball oh, i was yeah. a power forward when i was in high school and I was six one. Yeah, I yeah. look now. You're six one. You're playing guard. Yeah, you, you know when you were you're a guard. You're I, playing you're bench five is what you're five playing. up. You know. Yeah. B- bottom line. Okay, let's take a break. Come back. We got some more. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about dualism. We can. We can. And what else did you have? Uh, I had a, a question sent to me that said, uh, "I'm struggling with the fact that I'm struggling with my faith." Well, let's talk about that. There you go. Should you struggle with your faith? Are there times when you struggle with your faith? That's a great question here on the Bible Guys. At 14 minutes till eight on a Tuesday, it's 49 degrees. Hey, coming up in the next hour, we're going to take a tour of the dark side of society. Dr. Uh, William April is going to be with us uh, at least for a half hour, maybe for the full hour. We'll see. But he's going to talk about psychopaths, and he's going to talk about, uh, you know, sociopaths and what's the difference and where shall the twain meet and all of that. We'll be talking about that coming yeah. up on the Dave Ellswick Show. And don't go online and look up uh, the, the test for uh psychopath and sociopath and uh-huh. then uh evaluate that against your life because you'll be in a really dark place <laughs> for, for a whole long period of time after that uh, yeah, you because don't want to do that the the test that is out there um yeah they're 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 pretty strange i, I ran into a, a youtube video at one point that was talking about the fact that there was a, there was a guy in england and I, I forget the whole story but there was a guy in england who committed a crime and his lawyer convinced him um that it would be real easy to convince the courts that he was a psychopath and that instead of doing some long stint in jail, 
he would end up in a nice cushy mental facility. Um, so he convinced the courts that Uh-oh. he was a psychopath. Um, and it turns out that once you have been diagnosed as such, it's almost impossible to convince anyone that, that you're, you're not, not. A, a psychopath. So he he has uh, he said the most I could have gotten if I had just pled guilty uh, without any circumstances or anything, if I just pled guilty, the most I would have done is like 18 years. And at this point, he's been in the, the psych ward for 32 or 33 years or something like that. I was like, I, I think I made a mistake, and I would like to talk to someone about that. So yeah. Knocking around um, the zoo on a Sunday yeah, afternoon, yeah, they yeah. put bars on all the windows, and they've taken away the spoons. So there anyway, there's something from James Taylor. That has to do with addiction, by the way, but still, I understand what, what you're saying. Okay, so Let's talk about that question. Struggling with struggling with my faith. So yeah. um, here's the first thing you need to know. Everyone who is serious about their faith, uh, notice I did not say everyone, everyone who is serious about their faith will at times struggle with their faith. There are, there are hard things we need to wrestle with. Um, when it comes time to self-evaluate and go, hey, am I doing what God truly desires from my life that is a that is a struggle um between what the flesh wants and what god wants for um your life there's a struggle to be had there so the first thing i would say is if you are struggling with your faith do not add on top of that uh wrestling over the fact with whether or not you should be struggling with your faith everybody does it happens to all of us at some point did it happen um, to the apostles? It absolutely happened to the apostles. Um, you know, and I, I have been on this rant here oh, wait, right, wait. recently. The apostles were these great guys that they never were? and didn't make any mistakes at all. They, <laughs> yeah, they could walk Peter on water that. and all kinds of stuff. Well, Peter, Peter uh, absolutely took some footsteps on some water, but he sank as well. That's all I'm saying. Uh, you know, I have been on this tirade here recently about the fact that Peter must have had much better PR than Thomas. <laughs> You know, because Thomas, we we call him Doubting Thomas, right? But when we go look at his life, there's one real instance where incident where he is um, seen to be doubting something. I won't believe unless I put my fingers right. in his wounds. But that's it. He had one moment where he went, "No, I need to see it." With Whereas Peter, it's like every other page, uh, he, he messed something up. He didn't believe here. He sank in the water. He denied Christ. It, it's like how, how Christ in the world? don't go through with his <laughs> that's right. plan. That's right. Uh, how in the world did Peter come out of this as as the one that we champion, and yet Thomas got the title Doubting Thomas. It just it just doesn't work for me. So I, I think Peter must have just had some really good PR. But Well, he had P- good PR from Jesus yeah, himself. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, but, but, you know, Jesus, when he shows up and says, hey, go ahead, put your, put your finger here, and, and let me prove to you this. He didn't chastise Thomas when he no, showed he up. No, he did not. He came very lovingly and very merciful and said, hey, I understand that you're struggling. I understand that, that everything you thought I was going to do has not been fulfilled because I'm not here to do that right now. But but return to the fold. Come back. Uh, so and by the way, he didn't stick his fingers in the wounds on his hands. He put his finger in the wound in his, in side, his side because yep. that one was the deadly one. That's right. That's right. Um, the, the reason that they pierced the side was uh, to make sure that you weren't still bleeding uh, if if you are if you're hanging on the cross and you're dead and they pierce the side you get one gush of blood and that's it the the material that has built up there whereas uh, if your heart's still beating it's it's spurt 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 yeah, arterial so, arterial um, yeah so that's what that was all about um, and, and he wanted to know hey I'm I'm alive I'm here um, and this is a, a a perfect instance of of someone who was struggling with their faith and um, God was kind about that God is big enough 
that he doesn't, A, he doesn't mind your questions, B, he expects you to have some questions, and C, he's disappointed if you don't eventually have some questions. And you're not asking anything he hasn't been asked before since the beginning of time. Look, if we go all the way back to Jacob, uh, Jacob is renamed Israel after he spends the night wrestling with God, and literally the name Israel Israel means to wrestle with God. Uh, that's that's literally what it means, and I, I think God is in this instance of renaming him Israel is giving us permission. Um, it, it is this is a problem only in Western Christianity. In Eastern Christianity, it is expected that you would question God and wrestle with God. Here we consider that almost sacrilege. Well, oh, you're going ever to question since Kirkegaard, God? Yeah. who said you got to make this leap of faith. Mm-hmm. You, you, give, you, give up all, faith. you give up all your reason and just take a leap of faith. I don't buy that. I don't buy the give up all reason. Yeah. I absolutely believe that there's, there comes a moment when if you are just investigating Christ intellectually, um, you know, the guy who did the, uh, the Case for Christ movie and, and the book, yes. Uh, he proves that if you just approach God from an intellectual position, you will eventually get to the position where th- that's the only a reasonable outcome is that there is a God. That is not salvation yet, though. There comes a moment when you go, all right, I believe it in my head, and now I have to take that leap that's what of faith. C.S. Lewis said. And, and there's where the, the difference lies. And But again, God is, he doesn't. He is not upset by the fact that you have questions. He's not upset by the fact that you don't understand life and you don't understand why you're in the position you're currently in. Um, so feel free to, you know, I, look, I've been known, um, I've been known, we own 10 acres out in Lone Oak and I've been known to drive out to the back of that piece of property where no one can hear me and just shout at God because I got things I need to say. Yeah. And he doesn't appear to be listening. So uh, let me, let me get out here where I can just get loud enough that there's no way you can't hear me, Lord. So um it's don't don't worry about that don't struggle about that struggle with whatever the underlying struggle with is um and let that marinate in your soul you know if you've got if you've got questions about why god did something spend some time in prayer but don't let the fact that you have a question mess with your faith because it's it's just not necessary it's yeah not necessary and you know why i look at it maybe god hasn't given me the answer because i'm not ready to accept right the answer right well I always say that when you pray, there are three God, three answers that God can give uh, f- to you. He can say yes, which is what we all want. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he can say yes, but he can also say no, and he can also say not yet. Yeah, wait. Right. That's now, the I mean, worst are, answer as far as valid. I'm concerned. These are all valid answers. God is, uh, understand that his ways are not your ways and that his thoughts are not your thoughts and that he knows um, the perfect answer for your situation, you might be praying for something that in reality would not be beneficial to you in the long run. And his answer is going to be no, uh, you're, you, you can't have that because it would be bad for you. Uh, and sometimes you're just ahead of God. He's like, yes, yes, yes. I want you to have that, but the time is not right yet. Yeah. That's so, what I keep telling myself. I, I had, a vision I've for had a vision. Come on. All right. I've had a vision and I've, I've talked about this school. And, you know, if you have a vision, but God's got to give the provision, you got to wait for him yep. to give the provision. And I've been waiting. It hasn't come yet. Doesn't mean I don't believe it's not coming. There is a time that it will come. And I just have the funny feeling it's going to come in a way that I would never, ever expect it yep. to come. That's Amen. the way I see it. Amen. Anyway, when we come back, Dr. William April is going to be with us. We're going to talk about 
the dark side of society. How are violent criminals made? How do they think? How do they select victims? We're going to deal with all of that. Ed will be back. Ed Monk will be back with us because he's going to have Dr. William April in on May the 30th from 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the White Hall Community Center. He'll tell you more about that as well. But right now we got to get to the news. Thank you very much, Billy, for coming in today. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Bible Guys back next Tuesday here on the Dave Ellswick Show at 7 a.m. found it interesting there's been some very interesting discussion today from the first hour dealing with the ability to carry a firearm here in arkansas without a license to talking about biblical questions in the last hour now into even i this is something i find extremely interesting i am hooked on netflix and mind hunters uh what a great show that is but dr william april is our special guest and he's a guy who's uh, what you would call a specialist uh, about violent criminals you know how are violent criminals made how do they think how do they select their victims how do they do we react under stress and how can we mitigate risk of violence from these people that i think is the biggest question and we will get to it during our discussion ed monk uh, has uh, Dr. William April coming in on May 30th from 8.30 in the morning until 5 p.m. at the Whitehall Community Center at 9801 Dollar Way Road in Whitehall. That's on May the 30th. It's $75. You can find out how you can go by going to Eventbrite uh, and buy your tickets there. So let's w- welcome Dr. William April. Doc, thanks for making time for us today. Oh, good morning. I'm very happy to be here. Well, it's great that you had the time. Do you watch Mine Hunters on Netflix? Uh, I did see it. Yes. How how accurate is it? Do you think? Well, it's it. You know, there's a lot of artistic license taken, um, but it, it's uh, it's an extraordinarily well done show, um, especially looking back at that time period when um, you know the understanding of uh, serial homicide offenders or serial killers, as people most often refer to them, was uh, was really in, in its infancy. Uh, there just wasn't much known about this kind of offender uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, even though there was sort of an explosion of that kind of crime. Uh, and, it, and it seemed to sort of uh, not just frighten, but really dazzle and confuse uh, everyone involved. You know, I, I think back to the Manson era, and I remember when that happened. I remember reading the book Helter Skelter. I remember watching uh, the, the the TV produced uh, uh, movie for that event. 
And I think about it, and I remember it shook America to its core. In fact, they say that the Manson murders of Sharon Tate and Folger and Sebring and all the rest of them and the LaBiancas and whatnot uh, ended the summer of love in America. Uh, And you think of how many people died in that, and it ain't nothing to what we're seeing today. I mean, what is the big change that's going on here? Well, you know, when um, when when Vincent Bugliosi's book, uh, Helter Skelter, first came out, I think for for I mean, it's still a classic, but for most people, it was it was sort of the beginning of the of the true crime genre. Uh, and for the first time, you had people taking a long form look uh, at, at homicide, uh, at, you know, a deep dive into the motivations and the history of the people who had you know committed some really spectacularly gruesome murders. Uh, but f- from from the flip side, it was the first time uh, that we had looked at criminals who seemed to have planned what they were doing in a very great amount of detail and were hoping uh, that the facts of what they had done would cause a spectacle, would cause talk. Uh, and that was very, very different, I think, than most people thought of crime, uh, which was just an impulse um, mm. that, that people with um, – more, uh, you know, greater or lesser impairments uh, would sort of lose control and commit acts. But these were acts that were highly planned and designed to have secondary and even tertiary effects on the country as a whole. That was a very new thing. Uh, And it started a kind of thinking that's never really gone away. Um, You know, to this day, true crime is one of the most popular genres uh, in fiction and nonfiction. Yeah, people want to know why people do these bizarre things. I mean, look, how many books would you estimate have been written about Jack the Ripper? If it's not hundreds, I'd be shocked. Um, you know, in, in cases that are unsolved or unbelievably rich territory, um, you know, the, there's just not, there, well, not none, but there's only a limited amount of depth into which you can go about a case where all the facts are known. Um, but a case where the where the killer's never been apprehended uh, is inexhaustible. Um, theory after theory after theory, um, and the interest doesn't seem to be going anywhere either. Right? And wherever there's uh, demand, there will be supply. Hey, William, Ed Monk here. Uh, I guess I won't see you at TACCON, so I look forward to seeing you in May here. Um, okay. I'm really looking forward to it. It was, it was a little bit sad to hear about the uh, the cancellation of the conference, but understandable. Yeah, the Tactical Conference is a conference held every year, February, March, and that's where I first stumbled into uh, Dr. April's seminar or parts of it and just was absolutely fascinated with it. Um, Am am I correct, kind of jumping from the famous serial killers to just the average, not the average, but the ones that we most often have to worry about, the ones that we'll experience uh, in our homes or in the Walmart parking lot, Am I correct when I say that if you have not worked in law enforcement or in the court system or in the prisons, the vast majority of people really don't understand how many of these people are out there and how just how horribly violent and nasty they are? I, th- I think it's true. You know, the, the, the real benefit of true crime, I think, I think can be that people are thinking about crime for the first time. Uh, what most people do is just push it out of their mind and hope it doesn't happen, uh, rather like adverse weather. Um, I, I don't mind the um, the analogy to weather if, if you thought about um, people actually preparing for it. Um, 
you know, it's a little bit odd in true crime in that you'll get people thinking about crime all the time, but not associating with themselves personally. Uh, it's a little bit like reading about storms, but refusing to buy an umbrella. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit strange when you think about it. And, and I think at least the interest in crime should extend to the personal. How does this affect me? What, where does it leave me in terms of preparing for and mitigating what is going to come? Rather like the weather, um, it's always there. All, the, the only question is, to what degree will it impact me personally? Yeah, and, and if you're going to get caught in the rain or not. Exactly right. What I always say is, you know, you, you can't um, change the weather, but you can prepare for it. There you uh, go. The person, who do, the person who doesn't roll up their car windows has a worse experience of the weather than the person who does. Um, and this makes me think of a saying that I, I attribute to you that I've heard you use that I've stolen and using quite a bit, that the world... To prepare for violence, you have to first admit that the world is not as it ought to be. Yeah, it's it's always strange to to hear yourself quoted, but uh, but I do appreciate it. <laughs> but I, I I usually use a, a second part to that. Um, you know, acknowledge and accept. Um, you know, accept that the world is not as it ought to be. I mean, the reason you lock your front door uh, is because there are people who aren't authorized who might still try to enter. Um, and that's tough for people. Most people tend to think that the logic is transitive, that it works both ways, that, well, if, if I don't lock my door, meaning I don't think that there are people out there who might try to get in, well, then they don't exist. Uh, it doesn't work that way. I mean, the world is what it is, and we have to come to terms with it uh, or pay the price. We need to get a break in. Let's do that. Dr. William April is our guest. Doctor, do you have a website that people can go to? Uh, sure. April, A-P-R-I-L-L, riskconsulting.com, all sort of squished together, no capitals. Okay. April, risk, rest consulting. of that, consulting. Okay. Is it dot .com, dot .org, or what? Dot .com. Dot .com. All right. We're going to come back, talk further with Dr. William April, I'm, I'm letting Ed talk to him right now because my big question is how do we mitigate the risk of violence? We'll talk about that before we let him go here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, if you're trying to get to work by 8 o'clock, you're late. It's uh, 17 minutes after 8 right now. 49 degrees, uh, about a 50% chance of rain tonight, mostly cloudy, low about 53. Tomorrow, showers likely, possibly a thunderstorm and a high near, are you ready for this, 74 degrees. So it'll be a warm rain, not a cold rain. It's uh, 49 right now here in Little Rock. I'm Dave Ellswick, Dr. William April, and Ed Monk will be back with me in a moment. Okay, a serious question. Do you have endometriosis? Uh, if you don't know what that means, then you probably don't have it. If you're tired of dealing with the pain, then call Applied Research and be part of their study. You have to be a female between the ages of 19 to 49, not pregnant, breastfeeding, or planning to become pregnant. You will need to have had a surgically confirmed diagnosis of endometriosis within the last 10 years, along with additional requirements done by a screening process. You'll be reimbursed for your time and travel expenses if you qualify. If you need more information, here's what you do. You call Applied Research at 
This is a study about endometriosis. For all of those uh, different uh, things that you have to meet, all the requirements, 501-954-7822. Dave Ellswick Show, our special guest, Dr. William April. That's A-P-R-I-L-L. That's how he pronounces or how he spells his, his last name. Don't forget that he's going to be at the Whitehall Community Center coming up on May the 30th from 8.30 in the morning till 5 in the afternoon, uh, 9801 Dollarway Road in Whitehall, Arkansas. And uh, go on Eventbrite. Look under, uh, what's what's the title of this one? Unthinkable. Unthinkable. All right. Look under Unthinkable, $75 on uh, Eventbrite. Is uh, lunch included in that? No, it's not. Okay. So, you know, bring a bag lunch or, you know, you going to take a break for lunch? Yeah, there'll be a lunch break. Okay, so keep that in mind. And uh, this is just such an interesting subject that's dealing with us right now. So, Dr. April, we've had more and more of this violent crime breaking out. Is it because we got more and more people, or have they always been there, like The Alienist, the last book that I read that I really loved about this subject, and uh, we just didn't know how to identify them? Or, uh, you know, are we just spawning more of these kind of people? Well, The the Alienist by uh, Caleb Carr is a, is a wonderful book. I mean, it really had a, a, a historian's eye for for the era and an unbelievable attention to detail in that book. And frankly, uh, if people haven't read it, I, I wish they would. Uh, it's about the very birth of what you would now call forensic psychiatry. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, we've got an interesting sort of seesaw effect in that in that crime in general uh, is going down and, and quite markedly in parts of the country. Uh, but the kind of crime that seems to scare people the most, these sort of uh, highly organized murders um, by serial homicide offenders, there's no reason to believe that number is dropping. Uh, if anything, uh, that number appears to be rising. Um, and that's the kind that most frightens us um, because there seems to be such an active – uh, intelligence behind it. Uh, I think, you know, we've all gotten to the point where uh, property crimes, you know, robberies, especially where, you know, even a robbery that's gone awry, that sort of makes sense. It's understandable. We don't like it, but we can understand the origins of it. But um, homicides where the killing itself is the point, uh, that's really frightening. And, and so it's always going to take um, up a huge percentage of the public's interest. Uh, it doesn't take that many to cast uh, really quite a, a, a wide shadow of fear. Uh, William, another thing, I'll quote you again. I think a lot of people don't realize, you, you often say, they are not like us. I think a lot of people out there think, well, the criminals, they're good people. They just make some bad choices sometimes. And one of the things you say is they are not like us. You know, I would not stick my knife in your throat for the sheer pleasure of it or to try to get your wallet. But but they would. Can you talk a little about that? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a very tough thing to get people to consider, and that's one of the reasons why we we call the, the uh, our flagship course unthinkable is that we're trying to get people to think about it. Um, you know, and it's very difficult uh, to to look at something that seems to make uh, so little sense. Um, yeah, I, I think the the easiest way to think about it is sort of parallel tracks. Um, of living. Uh, actually, an, uh, another way that people might grasp is uh, sports. 
if you were playing golf, um, you're taking part in an activity with a specific set of rules. Well, if someone were to suddenly strap on a helmet and shoulder pads and turn and tackle you full speed as you were about to drive, um, that would be a, a shocking breach of the rules of golf. And, and frankly, it would be really confusing. Um, and, and so that's why I think we've got to think about it. You may be playing one game in your regular life, but that doesn't mean somebody else is playing by the same rules. Uh, far from it. They're, they're playing their life by rules that make sense to them. Um, and the problem is the, the, the gap between those, those competing um, sets of rules about what's happening in life can leave the, the normal everyday citizen who expects others to follow the rules uh, that can leave that normal everyday citizen sort of stunned uh, into inactivity and not really able to respond well. And um, not being able to process what's going on and take appropriate action is what gets people killed. Uh, so what I often say is whether you think you're playing or not, uh, you're in uniform and on the field, and you have to get your mind up to the speed of the game that's actually being played, not the game that you wish were being played. So hopefully turning people's psyche into from oh my god what's going on i can't believe this is happening why is this happening to oh crud it's happening to me right now so i got to deal with it exactly and 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 to the point where it's as automatic as the safety measures we take when we're driving uh, i mean when you get in your car you buckle your seatbelt for a reason uh, virtually none of us would drive a car without airbags on purpose uh, we carry a spare tire and none of those things are because we plan on having a bad outcome. We don't get into the car and say, boy, I hope I get into an accident. That's why I have these airbags. Uh, we rely on them at this point automatically. Uh, so what I'd like to do is, is get people to start the process of extending that, that mindset of making the preparations automatic or as automatic as possible uh, to the area of crime, not just car malfunctions and car accidents. So these violent people that prey on everyday citizens they 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 can't choose every single citizen to attack so they have to be selective uh and that's some of the things i'm sure you're going to talk about in the seminar but could you talk just briefly about that about what we know about how they select the people they attack well sure uh when i first started working as a sheriff's deputy uh before the dawn of time it seems now but uh, i was a regular old sheriff's deputy and um it was my first, I was a very young guy, and it was my first exposure to, to criminals on a, on a real concentrated level. And I didn't, frankly, didn't know very much about them. Um, I just assumed they were um, a little bit like dogs, sort of driven by instinct more than anything else. And I just assumed that like a dog, when they saw something attractive, they just took it. Um, but it turns out over time that, that you can learn from them that there's a, a pretty involved process of picking and unpicking victims. They're constantly looking for appropriate victims, but only certain people pass muster, if you will, um, you know, that, that qualify themselves as acceptable victims. Um, and so there's this constant um, filtering uh, of the population around a career violent criminal looking for that person who best fits the mold uh, of a good victim. Um, and so, you know, the, the first and foremost thing I think that people can work on is attention. Are they paying attention to their surroundings? Are they taking in information from the world around them and processing it and making changes? Uh, you don't have to spend long on the internet to find a you know video 
uh, surveillance or otherwise of people making terrible decisions or seeming to do inexplicable things, um, mostly by refusing to change their behavior, even though they're getting information from the world, people walking into puddles or wet concrete or falling off the edges of things. Uh, they're everywhere, and, and the, the foundation is, is that concept. We're so caught up in our heads or our phones or anything else that we're just not taking in information from the world, and that is the first and foremost thing that will always attract the attention of a violent criminal. Dr. William April is our guest talking about violent criminals. We'll continue our discussion after the break, and we will answer the questions, how do they select victims and how do we mitigate risk of violence? All that's coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It's uh, 49 degrees, almost 830. That means it's time for Sean Hannity right here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're back. Dr. William April, our guest, and uh, he talks about an area of crime I think a lot of people have, like myself. I call it a morbid interest. I mean, I'll be honest with you, doctor. I'm interested in the mafia, too. I grew up outside of Chicago. I don't understand that whole thing. It's only business as you're putting a bullet in the back of your head. But the bottom line is, it's really interesting, to say the least, to try to figure out how are these people thinking. And it's the same thing with with serial killers and people who go in and just, you know, if they don't have some kind of terrorist backing or whatever, decide they're mad at the world and want to kill people indiscriminately or the husband who walks into his home and kills his wife, kills his, his kids because he doesn't want them to be around because he's going to kill himself. I mean, I just don't understand that. And it's that area that makes me want to ask questions. Oh, I understand. You know, the, the, the scariest thing is the inexplicable. Uh, and, and all of the, in all those kinds of cases that you talked about, let's say from a, from an organized crime standpoint, like in uh, La Cosa Nostra, right, or, or other kinds of criminal enterprises, folks have chosen uh, a completely alien moral universe. Yes. Right and wrong. Yeah, right and wrong are redefined. And that makes the rest of us extraordinarily uncomfortable because we presume that there's a shared set of basic fundamental values that, that we can disagree about lots of things, but that the absolute foundations of what you will and won't do well, those are pretty standard. Well, and by and large, they are. But there will always be a number, and it's a substantial non-zero number, of uh, people who go another way. Uh, they choose another way of organizing the world, another way of thinking, believing, feeling that drives their actions. And what we have to do is recognize that very little is random, unquote, or accidental, unquote, or chaotic. Uh, these things are organized. They're just not organized in a way that makes any sense to us. But, but again, I hate to keep I hate to keep making analogies to driving, but you can drive a car well and safely and not understand anything about how internal combustion engines work. Yeah. All I ask is that we accept the reality that is, not necessarily understand it. Hmm. Yeah. I. Yeah. I. I I'm. I, I just read these books because I don't understand, and I, I look for somebody maybe to make a little bit of what I con- consider logical sense out of what mm-hmm. I consider is the illogical. However, to the person who's illogical, his his being illogical is logic to him. Absolutely. It's, it's a little bit like growing up on a different planet. You'd understand different wavelengths of light, different sensations of gravity. But those are the rules that govern your world. 
Well, it's it, it's it's unnerving to find uh, uh, you know an alien, so to speak, uh, on our planet. Well, on their planet, we'd be the aliens. Um, and so uh, we have to grasp the fact that even if we don't understand it, uh, it does have the power to affect us. Uh, we don't get a free pass just because we're following the rules. Um, and and we've got to come to grips with the fact that the the world as it is can influence us just like the tides or gravity. Um, and we've got to get ready for it. So like in our world with the morals and ethics that we live in, if somebody has something that we want, we offer to buy it from them. Or if somebody we think has wronged us, uh, then we go to the courts for redress. That's our system. What's their system? Uh, mostly Mike makes right, um, you know, over and over and over again in, in interviewing um, street-level offenders, violent offenders. Uh, they don't understand that we can't make the connection that they do. They see something, they want it, they take it. It's a very straight line uh, and a very direct causal morality. We have all these other uh, concerns about how can I, how could I get it legitimately? How could I do the work to make sure that something uh, could become mine? Well, they view that as very much um, a, a digression. Uh, they see very much in straight lines and what they want, and um, the ability to take it. And that ability is based in um, force and the threat of force. So these people that think and act differently than us, are they made that way at the human factory? Are they wired that way, or do they become that way, or both? Uh, a little bit of both, uh, and also the combinations. Um, you know, you'll get folks who, who had a normal set of genes, and then their environment was so prejudicial uh, they were raised in, in an environment so completely dedicated to to the use of force as what drives right and wrong that they get swept along for the ride, just like folks caught in a, in a terrible river rapids. Um, then you get folks who are, you know, as I put it, from the manufacturer, uh, just wired differently. Um, they view themselves as very much outside the human rules, uh, and they set their own. Um and without anything to guide them, any any higher structures to sort of adhere to other than their sense of what's right and wrong, uh, they can do whatever they want. Um, but where the rubber meets the road uh, or, or where the tire iron meets the head, it doesn't really matter to me which one you're facing in the moment. Uh, what matters to me is getting our minds up to the speed that we can uh, react and respond effectively immediately not weighted down by the judgments or the lack of understanding. All right. So how do they go about selecting their victims? If there's one thing I've learned from Ted Bundy and reading about him and watching documentaries on him, he was very specific on the people that he chose. So how do they go around selecting victims? And how do you know somebody's selecting you as a victim? Uh, that, that's a wonderful point. Uh, you don't. And so I feel like you should presume that you're being assessed all the time. And that, that's not paranoia. Um, think about it a little bit like a thought exercise. If I told you that for the next 24 hours, someone was going to be watching to plan an attack on you, and in the next 24 hours, you're going to give them information that will lead to their decisions about whether or not to attack you and how, well, what would you do different in the next 24 hours? The answer is everything. You would do everything different. Mm -hmm. you, would spend the you would spend the next 24 hours sending messages that you're not someone to be trifled with. Um, well, I, I'd like us to, to presume that we're being targeted, observed all the time. 
and send messages that that's not a good idea. Uh, actively and passively to have things in our lives give off uh, to any p- potential observer the message that we're serious, that we take this seriously, and that it's not going to be easy. Because the simple fact is violent criminals are choosing for easy more than anything else. They don't walk around saying, who would put up the most effective resistance? They walk around saying, who would offer no resistance? Yeah, just like a burglar would. Exactly right. If you're a burglar and looking at two houses, one with the front door wide open and the other with it locked uh, and a burglar alarm in place, which one would you choose? Mm-hmm. The, one, the one that presents the most easy outcome that you want, not the most difficult. Uh, so our job is to send into the world, and we presume there are bad actors in the world looking at us and observing. We want to send them a message that works for us, not a message that works for them. All right. We just got a few moments before I want to take break. Uh, Dr. April is with us, Dr. William April. I'll tell you before the end of uh, the time that he's with us when you can personally sit under his tutelage. He'll be uh, doing a event coming up in the near future right here in central Arkansas. So, you know, I've been reading all these articles lately about how they're trying to be able to manipulate the brain. And there was one doctor, I think it was a neurosurgeon, if I'm not mistaken, and he thought that he had mapped out the area of the brain that made violent criminals violent. And then he did a CT scan of himself, and he found out that his mapping was almost identical to a violent criminal. So there's something different there, but they're still struggling with what it is. So how are we going to mitigate the risk of violence from these people? We've talked a little bit about how we prepare ourselves, but there is, a, is there an area in the future that you see where mentally they're going to be able to go in and change things in people's minds? It, it, it's, a, it's a huge subject of, of controversy and debate and sort of never-ending research. Um, you know, only now uh, is there some agreement that you can detect the kind of brain structures that will lead um, folks to become dangerous and violent criminals. Um, and so at least there's some hope that, that there's an objective measure where you can detect these people on paper or on a scan rather than just observing their behavior. Uh, the reason that's hopeful is it, is it leads to the potential that there's some sort of treatment involved. Um, but I think no matter what we do, we're, it's going to be quite a ways down the road before there's any effective medical treatment. At this point, you're really just thinking about identification first and foremost. Uh, is there any way to uh, detect uh, kinds of acti- uh, brain activities in, in young children, let's say? Because the younger that any kind of intervention could start, any kind of treatment could start, the greater likelihood that we could make some change. But once someone's uh, already an active, violent criminal, it's going to be very tough to do a, a medical treatment that would change their behavior. Dr. William April, you can see him, learn from him personally, May the 30th, 8.30 in the morning at 5 p.m. at the Whitehall Community Center at 9801 Dalloway Road in Whitehall. It's $75 to uh, go to the event, and you can find your ticket or buy your ticket at Eventbrite, and the link is under Unthinkable. And I highly recommend, if you've been interested in what he's been saying this last uh, about 45 minutes, he's got a whole lot more to uh, 
share with you. Doctor, thanks so much for the time. This has been really, really interesting. Thank you for having me, and I hope we'll uh, we'll see some of your many listeners there. I'm sure we I'm sure we will. Thank you very much, Doctor William April. He said April. What was his website again, uh, Ed? I I can look it up. We'll find it. We'll give it to you before the end of the show. We got to get our final break in here on the morning show, Dave Ellswick show. Uh, Forty nine degrees, uh, fourteen minutes till nine. When we come back, big news on besides coronavirus. This this story actually blew coronavirus out of the number one spot when it came out. I'll tell you what it is when we return on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, so if you want to uh, pursue what we've been talking about this hour, let me suggest you go to Dr. William April's website. It is April with two L's. That's A-P-R-I-L-L, riskconsulting.com. That's April Risk Consulting, one word, dot com. That's his website. And uh, if you go there, tell him, hey, I was listening to you on the Dave Ellswick show in Little Rock. And wow, that was very interesting, some of the things you said. And then ask him a question. He'll answer you. And we really didn't introduce him very well. He is a Ph.D. psychologist, but he spent a lot of his career as a psychologist actually interviewing these violent criminals in the, you know, in the court like system. Kind of like Peterson, the guy that yeah. Headhunters is based on. Are, are you competent to stand trial? Now we've convicted you, so mitigation, how likely are you to offend again? And so he's interacted with and interviewed, and he studied these people. So he, he takes his education and his experience, and he, he explains it in a way that guys like me can understand it. And that's why I find it just so valuable. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, what's the story that knocked coronavirus out of the number one slot for right now? Long-time New England Patriot quarterback and six-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady on Twitter today announced he is leaving the Patriots after 20 season. Now, that move is following months of speculation and rumors as Brady was slated to become a free agent. Brady indicated that he is willing to play for another team and didn't signal retirement. He has said he wants to play until he's 45. He is 42 right now. So Tom Brady is going to continue to play football in the NFL. However, it won't be with the Pats. He thanks the Pats for everything they did. He thanks the Patriot Nation for everything they've done for him, but that he wants to spend this last three years doing something uh, in football with some other team. Now, what it tells me, uh, as a Colts fan, they just gave up their 13th draft pick uh, for uh uh, defensive lineman uh, yesterday from the uh, the 49ers. Now, here's the key. That means that they're not going to draft an early quarterback. That tells me all the information I've been hearing about Rivers coming to the, to the uh, Colts may be true. I've been kind of sitting back waiting for them to pull the trigger on this because he knows the head coach really well. So... It, there's this this story had a lot for me here as I looked at that. They, they had said Colts have already said they don't want Brady. They, they want something. They wanted Rivers if they wanted either one. 
I understood why the whole thing about Brady, but anyway, where will he go? That's a great question. You know what Zach told me? Zach said, I hope he goes to the Bears. You know, it's a possibility. Rivers goes to the Colts. Brady goes to the Chargers. That's out there. That's been talked about for months now. So anyway, that's the story. If you think the coronavirus story is the story, it's not right now. It is where is Tom Brady goes. That tells you. I'm just going to look right across at my cohort in crime today, Ed Monk. That tells you how important sports really is in America. Yeah, they tell you you can't go to a restaurant, we grumble. You can't go to a theater, you grumble. You can't go to church, we grumble a little more. You tell you you can't go to a sporting event, and there'll be a revolution. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost true. In this case, not even telling you that you can't go to a sporting event. It's just, where's Tom Brady yep. going to? Yep. Just saying, that's just that's that's pretty that's really pretty incredible when you think about that. I mean, it really, really is. We are really into it. Okay, what we got? We got about six minutes to the top of the hour. You know, we've all we we're all aware of what's going on right now with coronavirus. They just said I was just watching Fox News and uh, what's her name Bart Bartoloma was on there, the woman that uh, talks business all the time. And she said in New York City, there is a possibility that one-third of all the restaurants in New York City will go out of business by the, uh, during the, this time because their cash flow is so thin. They're running on such a thin margin that uh, they won't make it. And they're small. Yeah, they're small yep. family businesses. Yep. That's a good possibility that this is going to happen. I just saw another story that they said the GDP for the next segment, the next part of our uh, economy, they think that it'll pick up after the next segment. may fall by as much. Are you ready for this? 10%. That's yeah, negative. That's negative 10%. That's, that's bigger than... What's happening in Japan, although Japan's going to be even more than the 6% that they've been losing here recently. It's incredible. It's really it's really incredible. So as you hear them saying, uh, we're going to close restaurants, we're going to close this, we're going to close that, no more than 50 people, and, you know, this has huge consequences. Yeah, if you've got a small restaurant with 8, 10, 12 tables, you can lay off your staff. But you can't stop paying the rent. That's right. Your landlord's not going to go, ah, don't worry about it. You know, pay us whenever you get the money. You, you've got to pay the rent. And if you're not getting an income enough to pay the rent, then you got to close down. So that's where you see with Small Business Administration is lowering rates and ready to give help as much as they can. Yeah. And I've seen people post, you know, if you want to help out small businesses like restaurants like that, go and buy gift certificates. That makes sense. Going by gifts that way, they have the money flow. They're getting the money, the normal money, and then you're still getting what you paid for just just further down the road. Yeah, keep in mind. All right, Ben Shapiro, my buddy, Ben Shapiro says today, here are some things to do today. Number four, go for a walk. Clear your mind a little bit. Go for, by yourself. Just go for a walk. Uh, number three, buy a gift card from a local store for later use to help tide them over. Exactly what you were just saying. Just what you were saying. Number two, find out if an elderly neighbor or a relative needs any grocery or pharmacy goods. 
and bring them over to them. And last but not least, number one thing you should do today, call five of your friends and check in to see how they're doing. We, we, we need to connect with each other more. I mean, the whole thing about social media is that it's not really all that social. Just being honest with you. Be social. Talk to people. FaceTime and Skype. Even better than calling. Makes sense. Makes sense. So anyway, I'll be back tomorrow. In the final hour tomorrow, we'll have uh, Duck and, uh, and Joe on to talk about what's going on in the wonderful world of cars. I'm going to talk to Ed, see if he wants to come back tomorrow. See if he's got anything planned. He had a whole lot of stuff planned, but everything keeps getting canceled now. <laughs> yeah. Just this whole coronavirus is screwing with his business yeah. as well. Dr. April and I both were going to be speakers at the tactical conference at the end of this month, and that got canceled yesterday. So that's that's the way these things are going. So just keep in mind that all of these things they're asking us to do, they also have an effect on business. I mean, I saw a story uh, before I went on today about how bars are already crying about the 9 o'clock curfew here in Little Rock. It's going to cut a lot of their business off. What do they do? It's all things to keep in mind uh, as they take away our liberties because we're willingly giving them up. That worries me as well. We should be, you know, saying, hey, you know, I'll do it, but I'm doing it because of myself. I'm not doing it because you're telling me that I got to do it. I don't want to be told to do it. Now they're starting to tell us. That's not good. All right, you have a good day. We'll see you again tomorrow. Uh, Ed Monk, thank you for being here today. Anytime. Hopefully you'll be with us for a couple hours tomorrow, try to get you to come back in. Ed's really good. He can talk a a whole lot of different subjects. Uh, Of course, guns is his best thing. Uh, Last resort uh, firearms is his business. And uh, if you want to get a license, he's the guy to talk to. What's your website? Uh, just find us on Facebook. We don't have a website. Find us on Facebook. Okay. Last Resort Farms Journey. There you go. You'll find it right there. I'm out of here. See you tomorrow. Dave Ellswick Show. Coming up is Gallagher and then Rush, although it'll be a fill-in for him today. <laughs>